Hello, everyone. This is Mike Epstein, and welcome to Speaking of the Arts. My guest today is none other than Craig Ferguson. Craig is president of Planet Bluegrass, which is responsible for producing the annual Telluride Bluegrass Festival, Rocky Grass Festival, Folks Festival in Lyons, Colorado. And in addition, Craig's company produces the annual Rocky Grass Academy, the Song School, and the Wildflower Concert Series. Craig has been involved with festival promotion and production for over 30 years, and earlier this year, the Telluride Bluegrass Festival was awarded Best Music Festival of the Year by Polestar. Craig, thanks so much for taking the time to be here today. My pleasure. Boy, you read all that off. All of a sudden, I felt pretty tired. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I'm glad that uh, uh, we're able to do this today. I know that you've got a lot on your plate, and... Um, Let's just get started here. So why don't why don't we why don't you uh, discuss your background a little bit? Let's talk about. I mean, how did you first get into the music industry? Oh boy! Well, you know, from different places. I uh, I suppose the first thing I ever did is after law school, I uh, managed a guitar building school that was pretty fun, and that kind of uh, to you know because I was scared I was going to end up. Uh, uh, you know, downtown Denver, with a, wearing a suit and tie for the rest of my life. And then it kind of one thing came to another, and, and uh, we um, started a little retail music store, and then we got to know the folks that were doing the Telluride Bluegrass Festival, and um, they needed some help, and we had to, you know, way back about in the late, mid-80s, we uh, got, you know, we had to bring on some new partners and stuff like that, and at the time, I thought I was just going to help them do a little legal stuff and get a little organized, help them with the tax turn, and all of a sudden now I've been booking bands for 30 years. <laughs> yeah, well, so tell me a little bit about what that transition was like. I mean, just out of law school and then getting involved with the Telluride Bluegrass Festival, what was what was that sort of like mentally to go from, obviously you had already decided you didn't want to be a lawyer, which is why you, you moved down there, but... Well, I mean, what was it like in the beginning days? Well, you know, I actually uh, d- just didn't want to take, you know, take a break from being a lawyer. I fully expected to be one. In fact, was one, um, you know, when I came back from Arizona doing the guitar building thing, you know, I was actually practicing law and, you know, kind of helping the Telluride guys out a little bit. And, you know, it took three or four years uh, before I really uh got to the point where I would be in charge of it essentially and it was just kind of a slow evolution you know the the crazy thing was going from law school to the desert managing a guitar, guitar building school after that everything kind of just slowly evolved and certainly without a plan <laughs> sometimes that's not such a bad thing until you run into trouble <laughs> yeah you know? yeah but we've been pretty fortunate, you know. The the festival, you know, back then it was well. Back then, um, gosh, I think there were maybe I could maybe name five music festivals in the country. You know, there was Winfield, which is a bluegrass festival, New Orleans jazz, Newport folk, and Strawberry, and I don't. I'm sure there were some others, but I sh- I sure couldn't name more than ten. And now I can name ten in my county. Right. Yeah, I mean, I read recently that there was somewhere between 800 and over 1,000 annual summer festivals in the U.S. alone. 
Yeah. Um, it's, I don't even know. Uh, I just don't under, you know, don't understand much, uh, about what's going to stop it from being a festival every other day. And it's kind of hard to keep up with what's going on. You know, I'm, I think you mentioned to me something about the consolidation of the festival business and I hadn't really been paying attention. And since then, of course, I've been hearing this and that, and I don't know, maybe there's going to be a thousand festivals and all be owned by two companies someday. <laughs> well, yeah, there's a thought. Um, I mean, anything's possible. I, I certainly want to have you talk a little bit about how you organize uh, and manage each of the festivals that you're responsible for. But before we do that, so talk, maybe talk a little bit about Planet Bluegrass and how and why that entity was formed. Well, uh, Planet Bluegrass is really the trade name for the corporation that uh, owned and produced uh, Telluride Bluegrass Festival. And so really, the, I guess it's kind of as we uh, – is our team, you know, was putting on the Telluride Bluegrass Festival. We, I guess like the whole rest of the country is now, thought, uh, you know, let's maybe a different kind of festival be fun to do. And, uh, and so we just, you know, uh, gradually, the first thing we did was the Rocky Mountain Folks Festival, and, and it was then in Estes Park. And we were thinking just a singer-songwriter festival mainly with artists, with the, maybe the distinction being that artists from around the uh, globe and then you know then that turned into uh, wanting to do a little school before it and that became the song school um, and both of those events are really loved now they're smaller you know the, but uh, they're very important for us to we like doing them and then similarly we also started another festival uh, Rocky Grass which is a more traditional bluegrass festival that also has a school component to it and uh boy each of those events has uh have uh fans that consider it like their best week of the year so we really end up feeling pretty well that's a quite a compliment but we always feel like okay here we go we got to really make sure it's it's uh nice this year well absolutely so so just uh to make it clear to the listeners who aren't familiar with again the scope of what you're doing so Planet Bluegrass is actually producing three separate festivals, Telluride, Rocky Grass, and Folks. Um, yep. Yeah, so can you talk a little bit then about how, I mean, how do you, are you personally booking talent for each one, or how, does, how do you, how do you uh, yeah, deal with all of that? <laughs> yeah, well, we have about, well, like there's five or six of us that kind of work year-round, and I think actually that was one of the reasons we wanted to start Another festival way back when is to try to get to the point where uh, it could be a year-round thing instead of uh, every kind of trying to scramble together every year from their regular jobs. But, you know, as for me personally, I book the bands and deal with the politics pretty much, the, the town governments. You know, our festivals are one unique thing about them is they're, all of them are so much bigger than the actual size of the year-round size of the town they're in, and the uh, so there's all, there's a lot of uh, conversations and negotiation and just working with the local governments. Um, that uh, so that's what I basically you know over time I've been involved in marketing and all the other stuff, but pretty much now, recently I've 
just you know just have those two roles. And you know, booking the bands, you know, our whole group here is music lovers, and mostly that kind of means that I'm the one that picks up the phone most of the time. I'm not necessarily the one that comes up with all these awesome ideas. <laughs> but we've got we've got a really good network of music lovers, and of course, the agents around the country follow our the way we produce our festivals. They think they kind of respect that, so. They don't try to sell us on something that they don't feel really good about. So, right? How, do you do you find that you have patrons and fans coming to the same festivals, or because there's a mix of? I guess I'm curious. Um, within those three festivals, I mean, are people coming to each one time and again? Are they only coming to one, or does how does that work? Well, uh, there's a small number that go to all three. Um, and then there's a bigger number that go to Rocky Grass and Telluride uh, that have that bluegrass thing in common, and, and some of the same artists kind of go there. So it's uh, you know, a lot of people that go to Telluride would would, uh, would go to Rocky Grass, have been to Rocky Grass, and uh, some come every year. And Rocky Grass has its dedicated people that come every year that don't go to Telluride, and maybe they used to, but. You know, a rock dress is kind of so much easier for people that like live in Denver and stuff. And tell you right, you know, it's pretty much an international audience anymore. Got it. How? So let me ask you this: If you were to start a festival today, um, what? How would you approach marketing it? Given that, as we said, there's upwards of a thousand festivals every summer. I mean, what? What are some things? maybe over the years that have sort of guided your thought process and, okay, you know, here's how we're going to get the word out about this and here's who we're going to try and reach. Marketing? Yes. What? How would I, if I was going to start a festival today, marketing, boy, that's a good question. I guess, you know, the for me it all comes back to the product. You know, we, for instance, our festivals currently, we do almost no marketing. And uh, all our energy is put into the product, and and uh, that translates into everybody leaving the festival saying, "I'm coming back next year." And that's our that's what the way we actually truly market our events now. And other than telling people when tickets go on sale, so yeah, I, don't, I think the first thing I'd if I were going to start a festival, I think the first thing I'd have to do is try to figure out what is different about it. Um. We're fortunate in the festivals we do, they're both in amazingly beautiful places, uh, and that's a big part of what we do. I know there's a lot of great festivals that are just kind of in a big, huge, you know, ranch, that, and you can't even see a hill f- from them. And I think that's been a distinctive advantage for us is the uh, location so I think if I were to start a festival, honestly, um, well, first of all, I'd go to my psychiatrist and ask them what's wrong with me. Um, but if they if they said I nothing, go ahead, then I think I'd try to figure out a really gorgeous place that doesn't have a festival, and uh, and figure out um, what about what musically could be um, distinguishable from all the other festivals, and that might be pretty hard to figure out because there's something for everybody out there. Mm. Um, but And then, I'm not your marketing expert, I guess. Uh, <laughs> you know, 
be honest with you, but I guess at first I'd have to figure out what I was marketing. And in this day and age, adding one more festival to the landscape, I don't know why anyone would even care, unless it was Neil Young and Bruce Springsteen together one time only. Sure, the name recognition. Um, okay, well, let me ask you this then. I mean, I'm really fascinated by sort of the inception of Planet Bluegrass, and, and it's interesting to think about, you know, the last uh, 25, 30 years and the three festivals that are going on. Have you, what are some things um, over the years that you've noticed that I guess you wish you knew when you started maybe presenting a certain artist or trying to do something and then realizing later that it didn't quite have the reaction that you hoped it did? Um, I guess what I'm asking is, you know, what are some things that if you were to, again, start over, you wish you knew about people's sort of behavior and, and how they might react or don't react to what it is you're trying to do? Have you had any instances where that's happened where maybe a certain artist uh, wasn't perceived as well as you thought it would have been? Well, yeah, there's been some of that. Um, I can't really think of an instance in which it's been an artist put in a headline spot. Um, I'm sure... I'm sure, well, you know, sometimes, yeah, I mean, sometimes we'll have, uh, like a Telluride, have artists that will come out and maybe, uh, I can think Ryan Adams played Telluride one time, and we were all psyched for a little bit more of an acoustic presentation, and uh, like he's so great at, and he was just in his rock and roll mode, and it kind of like the audience, even though they're up for rock and roll and stuff, were kind of hoping to capture that portion of his uh, artistry and so that'll happen once in a while um but uh not not often with the with the you know the headliner type bands a lot of times you know part of telluride's allure is we take a lot of chances with artists that aren't really known i mean like when we heard mumford and sons no one really even knew him in the united states i think we we're the first people in the united states to even hire him for instance now we do that with a lot of bands. That one just happens to be one that you can say, go out there and say, hey, and and, uh, but not all of them go f- become famous. But we we've had a lot of bands we kind of take chances on, and uh, yeah, some of those we sit we sit down and watch that and go, okay, let's see what happens. But you know, the Telluride audience in particular is is so open to uh, something new and supportive that oftentimes they just like the. Uh, the surprise, you know, the surprise. So, so really, not often if we put on stuff that um, we feel like wish we wouldn't have. Right. Um, really, we're really kind of in the business of taking chances, probably, and we and we also have the freedom to take chances because you know, Telluride sells out the second it goes on sale without naming a single artist. And when you're in that situation, it's almost like you have a responsibility to the music and to art and to artists to really reach out and hire uh, stuff that people aren't familiar with. That is a great uh, sort of scenario to be working in in that sense. What, what advice would you have to an artist who is interested in playing one of the festivals for the for the first time, has never played one, and might be in that sort of uh, category that you were just describing, that you're relatively unknown, and certainly you hadn't heard of them? Um, I wonder if you can answer that question. What do you think? Uh, how do these unknown artists end up on our stage? 
Well, there's that, but then there's also, you know, if you were specifically, you know, you found out about an artist, I'm just kind of curious, like, what would you, what would your advice be to that artist who, um, you know, could potentially play one of the festivals? Does that make sense? Yeah. Someone, and, yeah. Uh, it's probably, it's probably something like this. Um, you know, uh, you need to have somebody else tell us how good you are. Um, if I, you know, if I hear often, I hear a little buzz from somebody, a little buzz from somebody uh, about somebody from like an agency. I went and saw this one thing, and, and I don't represent them, but they're pretty cool. That's the kind of the end. Of, the third party needs to kind of tell me you're cool. Almost never can anyone call up and talk their way into a gig with a YouTube video or something. You know, it's really. You have to find one of our scouts, and and then maybe find two or three of them. Yeah, and, that's, and then we'll start paying attention. There's just you know, I, there's so many artists these days. It seems like it, I don't know how there could be more artists than there once was. It doesn't quite make logical sense to me. But it used to feel like I knew every artist that could be that was possibly hireable, and now I I don't feel like I even know who. You know, I'm surprised at some of these awesome artists that I haven't heard of that everybody else knows about. It's just hard to keep up. Right. It certainly is. I mean, everybody, of course, with technology and the Internet, I mean, everybody really has their own sort of stage, which yeah. means that there's I mean, just so many more out there. You find stuff in Australia where once there's no way. But I yeah. have to say, you know, you just have to find one of our you know, friends, and uh, whether agent, manager, artist, you know, a lot of our uh, – Bands that we hire come on tips from artists, you know, that artists have worked with them or, or just happen to love their stuff, you know. Bela Flex says, oh, man, have you heard the Wood Brothers CD? That's so great. And even though we were kind of interested in the Wood Brothers, hearing that, it's like, okay, that's that's uh, we've got a stamp of approval from him. Yeah, sort of seals the deal there. <laughs> it's kind of random, you know, and every year, I swear, I get started off go, gosh, this isn't this doesn't feel good enough and then somehow every year by like March it's like, okay, this is actually gonna be fun. And it all come together. Yeah, but the, not 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 once do we start off thinking, okay, I've got a plan and this is gonna be great because never what happens at, at Telluride in June is what was planned in October. It's just stuff that comes and all of a sudden it's like it just seems to fit but it's not really a we don't really head into any of these festivals with any uh, expectation of who's going to play it's just very and it kind of goes very slowly too the booking process like the Telluride for instance it's a big mixture of music so we don't we kind of book bands one at a time and we may get to a point where like well, we need to get a little more kind of some indie elements in here and and therefore not book some awesome bands that are just because we already got some plenty of cool jam grass or plenty of cool traditional bluegrass or we've already got some country stuff, even though this thing is so awesome, but we got to keep it diverse. Yeah, so it sounds like they're really every time the booking process, or the booking season opens up, it's you guys are starting obviously with a blank slate, but more importantly, a totally open mind and then sort of let it happen organically. Yeah. I'm sorry, tell me that again. 
Well, I was just I was just sort of thinking about what you were saying, and it sounds like really the approach, if there is one, is to be as open-minded as possible. Because, um, like you said, what happens in June is not what it looked like in January or, or before that, when the you know the, process, the booking process was getting underway. Yeah. And, you know, another thing that I think is one unique thing about our festivals that I'll point out uh, that also impacts this booking thing is we just have one stage. And uh, most of the, I think it seems like most of the festivals these days have multiple stages, especially, of course, the big ones. But we're pretty committed to maintaining the single stage thing, and we and the artists really love it, too. And... Uh, you know, everybody, and it kind of, for us, it feels community building because everyone pretty much experiences the same festival. Like, did you went to that festival? Wow, did you see that? No, I didn't see them. Did you see You know, and everybody has a different experience, which is certainly great. Some I know a lot of people love that. But for us, everybody has the same experience. And if an artist comes to plays our festival, they know that all the audience is going to be there for them. You know, that if they're unknown, they're not going to be like everybody's not going to rush over to some other tent. Then, of course, that has an impact on booking because it really then becomes more important when people play. Not that the big shot needs to play last, but just that things need to fit together. And oftentimes, um, a lot of our unknown artists, are, we put them in the evening like right before big headliners, and um, and it has to feel like it, it's compatible. Uh, you know, so... So the, the slowness of the booking, like looking for diversity, as well as what fits right before Bela on Thursday. What's the right fit for that? that yeah, sense. that makes a lot of sense. I, it's, I'm glad that you're describing that. Um, I want to jump, uh, change directions here for just a second. Um, you know, I read that the Telluride Bluegrass Festival was actually one of the first of its kind to um, become carbon neutral. And it seems yeah. like, in, you know, being environmentally friendly and, you know, regardless of what you're actually doing is more important now than ever. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about that process and what that was like. Uh, the development of, you know, we, we are, that's really important to us. A lot of, one of the main reasons is because of the events take place in such beautiful places, you can't help but want to be in love with the earth. And, you know, it just, it began, you know, originally it was pretty to say recycling. And then when you're in Telluride, um, you know, you, you start to, which is, you know, uh, which is pretty far distance from a recycling center or a compost facility and that kind of thing. So all of a sudden, you, as you start to look into these uh, greener practices, uh, you're kind of challenged a little bit, like, hold it, is this really worth the diesel to drive this stuff? And so we kind of started getting intellectually involved and academically involved and being real honest about what's good and 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 what's just kind of looks good and, you know, making sure we could really justify it. And, you know, fortunately for us, um, the, our size uh, allowed us to – uh, be able to justify recycling and composting. Though now, composting is an issue because there's no uh, facility near Telluride anymore, and to drive that stuff around for the sake of composting gets to be a bit of a challenging math equation. So as we started, in, you know, I'm just uh, uh, 
watching, you know, the reduction keeping our energy footprint, we did start thinking that let's try to make the whole thing uh, energy equal <laughs> or, you know, to offset all the energy we're using. That's when the carbon and, – and I think we had some people, you know, come talk to us about it and kind of talk, talk us into it a little bit. And uh, it's something we feel pretty good about, um, all the little steps. And every year there's something new. You know, we're trying to get to the point where there's really – Zero waste. I hate that term, but where everybody comes to the festival and brings their own plate and silverware and takes it home, and everybody comes to the festival and takes home their own recycling and stuff like that and reusing. And every year there seems to be a new program we're trying to instigate. There's some other great festivals out there that do some good stuff too, and some of those we're trying to learn from. Yeah, some of those things you just described. Though I don't, I, I think uh, a lot of festivals are not doing. For example, you mentioned. Um, having everybody kind of take care of their own recycling and then having them bring their own, what what'd you say, utensils and, and plates and stuff, that seems like, you know, multiplied across however many thousands of people are coming would make a huge difference. Well, it's something we don't do, but but we're wanting to get to that place. Um, ah, I misunderstood you. Know, you. Yeah. Yes. I mean, that's some of our ideas for the future. Some of that is some of that's uh, got issues with health department, and um, there's you know like for now now we do have the uh, vendors distribute uh, what are the sporks is that the right term you know those spoon fork things and and try to and uh, try to that are reusable and have people keep them mm -hmm. Same like our beer cups you know you can't uh, the, all the beer cups are reusable and so your first beer is like eight bucks and your second beer is like four third four bucks and so we have been successful in getting into reusing instead of throwing away and a lot of like the beer cups for instance a perfect example these become collector's items for people you go into some some of our festivarians houses and they'll have 12 years of cups you know but there's still there's a lot of room for improvement sure um, yeah well and, all right I, I got another question for you here it's sort of uh going in a different direction what you know looking back over all the years um i'm curious what would you consider to be sort of one of your actually worst festival moments and and how did you and your team sort of deal with it huh boy that's a good question you know we've had uh we've had the uh we've like in Telluride, we've had the forest fire fear where there was a big, huge fire like, oh, 50, 100 miles away, and the forest was so dry. And there was, you know, we were in front of town council. There was actually the consideration, actually, should we cancel the festival? That was pretty hairy, you know, like a week out. Um, mm. You know, and, and we were successful, I think, in, in describing to the council that, you cancel you cancel the festival and the only and everyone's still going to come except for you're not going to have anybody working uh no one's getting paid you know and then who's going to manage that and so we really and i think we generally felt like the best thing to do was just be jump up our uh, care and focus in the campgrounds uh and manage that but that was probably about as precarious 
the festivals we've done, um, we've had you know we've had the electricity go out and then the generator go out and uh, some things like that, but really no big disasters that in the middle of an event like a weather thing. We've had a lot of rain, but the festivarians are pretty tough, so we really haven't had any in the middle of the festival challenges that I'm that I can remember. Probably the biggest thing that we get get torqued about in the middle of the festival is when damn it the sound is not right right now. We gotta fix that. That's that's about as much of a disaster as we have during a festival. We've had, you know, of course we've had the experience where Let's see, for our 40th annual, Mumford & Sons had to cancel a week out because Ted had to go to the hospital. And um, and that was a lot of fun, trying to replace him uh, them in a week for our 40th anniversary. That was a little stressful. Fortunately, a lot, you know, that's just, a lot of people in the industry said, oh, let's see, we'll try to help you. And we were fortunate to get Steve Martin uh, and, and Edie Brickell to come out. It was awesome, and everyone loved that, and he was such a great um it's so great to be able to make that change but i guess i can't fig- think of any horrible things that our great team work was able to av- avert at the last second <laughs> well that's good to hear well then on the other side of the coin i mean what would you can what would you consider one of your more you know your be- your best or your uh more memorable festival moments that you're you're really proud of i'm sure there's thousands of things that come to mind yeah, you know, there's one. The mind dances around to all those artists that kind of got their chance, their start at Telluride. Like, remember the first time Allison Krauss played Telluride, and then you know, there's many of those. Um, but when people ask me that, for whatever reason, my mind usually goes back to the first time James Taylor played, which was in 1990. And the only real reason he played is because he uh, had Mark O'Connor play on a record with him, and Mark told him about Telluride. And all of a sudden, um, James had this band together that included Jerry Douglas on dobro, Edgar Meyer on bass, and Mark O'Connor on fiddle violin. And uh, it was such a special Telluride set. And it seems like we have a lot of those. But that goes back to that kind of seems like the first one of star power. And, and my mind drifts to the James Taylor thing when people ask me that question. Wow, and yeah, and, the, and other people in the band that you mentioned were playing with them. That's that's quite the band. Yeah, that's quite the band. And then, of course, we've got these guys, uh, you know, uh, those three, and then uh, uh, Sam Bush and Bela Fleck that play every year in a band together, and it's it's like the most amazing. I always just love it, and so does everyone. And it only happens to tell you, right? It's the only time they ever play together. We just call it the house band. But that's that's... Definitely, are like everyone's highlight for the year every year. And you know, when you know you're starting off the festival, like when you say booking the festival, you know when you have that kind of headliner with the best musicians on the planet, that you know you don't get too worried that the festival's not going to be good enough. You, you feel like, okay, well, no, they're going to be great, so we better do our job. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's great. Um, all right, well. I uh, I know that we don't have too much more time here, and I, I'm so appreciative, um, again, for you to take the time to do this. Maybe to wrap up, um, what are, who are some new artists you've heard recently um, that maybe other people listening to the podcast should check out? Oh, wow. Uh, 
They had to ask me that one. <laughs> New artists. Uh, well, you know, it all depends. You know, some people think Casey Musgraves is a new artist. Uh, she's like my new favorite, even though in the country world she's huge. I mean, everybody that loves country music loves her. But to me, she's kind of new, and we're really learning to love her. Um, Shane Coison would be one. He's like a slam poet. Have you heard of Shane? No, I was going to say that's someone I haven't heard of. But you've heard of Casey Musgraves, certainly. Yes. Well, Shane Coison is a slam poet, essentially. That would be the term, although you wouldn't say that's slam poetry. And uh, and he plays with a little acoustic backing band, and and I've, I've told people that uh, you sit down, and in the, in the first half hour, you're going to laugh and you're going to cry, I swear to you. And they do, and they come up to me after. And he's played for us at Folks Festival, but he's coming to Telluride this year. Those would be kind of the two that jump out first on my uh, list. I, let me, I'm looking here. You know, Sierra Hole, I don't know if a lot of people know her. but Yeah, I'm familiar she, with her. Yeah, she's really awesome, you know, in, in various genres. Billy Strings is this great guitar player in a kind of a traditional uh, string way that he'll probably, you know, be, appeal to a wider audience as, it go, as he goes on. But there's so many. Everybody knows Lake Street Dive by now, I suppose. Oh, yeah. But, you know, they're just going to keep going through the roof. And um, No, there's so many. There's so many great bands. A lot of the bands we find that we want to bring to Telluride are from across the country, um, across the sea. Like last year we had Lau. I don't know if people are familiar with Lau. Tell me about Lau. Well, they're kind of a Scottish uh, traditional trio that has a whole energy of rock and roll to them as well um, and really get it going. Uh, I don't know. Did you ever know the band Wolfstone? No, I didn't actually. That was kind of that was a band that played Telluride that no one heard of and just killed it and played for like three straight years. Uh, you know, this old Scottish rock and fiddles going nuts kind of thing. I'm not very good at describing genres because I can't. Figure, I have yet to figure out what they are. So uh, Rhiannon Giddens um, yep. is not familiar to a lot of people, but uh, anybody that sees her goes, "Holy crap! How did I not know her?" Um, Janelle Monet would be kind of like that in a way. Some people know her, but maybe not uh, not a traditional acoustic audience. And she doesn't play a lot of festivals, but she's super fun, black singer, songwriter, soul dancer. It's just uh, it's a whole experience to be with her. I don't know. I could go on and on, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I could I could listen to you, you know, talk about these artists all day. It's really good. You day. know, and every day <laughs> there's new ones. Like, you know, I, for some reason I, I have been unaware of the band Cabinet. Have you ever heard of them? No, but I, believe me, all the ones that you're naming right now, I'm going to look up after we're done here. Cabinet? Yeah. And uh, all of a sudden I find, well, they're represented by this agent, a guy I know, and then I, I hear my friends telling me that, have you? Checked out. You certainly know these guys, don't you? Let's go to the shows. I've never heard of them, and they're just kind of like straight up our alley as far as the jam grass thing. And how, how I never heard of them. I have. I it amazes me. Even though a, a couple members of our staff hadn't heard of them either. So 
Every yeah, day new, every uh, day is different. Yeah, you learn about some new ones every day. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you one thing that's kind of a, a fact I wanted to, I don't know, you didn't, uh, you would probably ask me this question, but here's a little fun fact about the Telluride Bluegrass Festival that I tell people to help to help them explain why it's um, uh, unique and why it seems to run so smooth for people that attend is uh, about four years ago we gave uh, parkas to everyone that had worked the festival for over 20 years. It was actually on payroll. We gave over 100 of them away. And, you know, that's to have 100 of your top people work with you for 20 years. When you're in the position, like my position, when the the show starts, there's nothing for me to do but sit and watch it, you know. No one needs Hmm. any hints from me. And the same same goes for everybody. We kind of, we'll have worked out some things in the fall maybe or changes or something, but pretty low stress to be at the event and I don't think there's many festivals that could say a fact like that. Yeah, it sounds like that. Yeah, your the management there is really in place and is doing what it's supposed to be doing. Which I guess is staying out of their way. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. You know delegate. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well Craig, yeah. this has been really an honor. I, I, I can't thank you enough for taking your time here to talk about the festival and, and what it is that Planet Bluegrass does and all the successes you guys have had. Um, I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. It's it's fun to talk about. Every time I have a conversation like this, I, I'm going to hang up the phone and go, oh, I wish I'd have brought up this. But if you think of something else you want to ask or something, please just call me back. Absolutely. Yeah, we can do a part two. No no, no reason not yeah. to. Part two, the future of uh, energy uh, re- recycling and reuse at music festivals. <laughs> That's right. And it'll be all virtual reality, so you'll actually... <laughs> Virtual yeah. fact that we're recycling. Yeah, you didn't ask us why we don't use uh, video screens and never will. Things like that. That'll be part two. That'll be part two. I love it. Yeah. Hey, thank you, Mike. We'll see you. You bet. Thanks a lot, Craig. Bye bye.